what I do, the vaccine is safe. Here, I'm going to take it in front of you. Well, 17 days later, he died. And I recall saying his death is part of a wave of deaths that we're seeing in this after vaccination. I didn't say that his death was caused by the vaccine because I can't say that. Scientifically, I didn't have the information to be able to say that, but I could say with certitude and scientific certainty that his death was among many deaths that were being reported immediately after vaccination. Well, I was attacked by CDC and by the New York Times and USA Today and all of the television networks and news organizations around the world. Now, remember, the NFL has a vaccine mandate. Aaron Rodgers develops COVID-19. Wait a minute. You took the vaccine. He's like, no, I didn't. I didn't take the vaccine. I got COVID. He got the McCullough protocol. He goes on with Pat McAfee. I got the McCullough protocol. I got through it. Thanks, Dr. McCullough. And it's revealed he hasn't gotten the vaccine. And why? Because he's concerned about myocarditis. And Cole Beasley for the Buffalo Bills, same thing. And Kyrie Irving plays in New York for basketball, same thing. So we have player after player coming out saying, listen, I am worried about myocarditis. And then you see the array of damage. What really pisses me off is that none of this ever had to happen. Is that what, I don't know why this irritates me and I'll get back to in a second, but it does bother. I don't, it doesn't bother me because it's like, so, but why can't people just do their own independent research? All of the data was always there. We had the information this whole time and to not be able to see through this propaganda and this seriously malicious flood flooding the zone, as they say, of using their words, disinformation to coerce people, to give people lottery tickets if they get a, a, a biomedical injection. To me, it was plain as day, but to the vast majority of the population, it was not. I just wish, you know, you can't go back. So hopefully we, we make it right this time. This never happens again. That's my hope. It just saddens me that people are willing to hurt other people for financial gain. For financial gain? Really? How's that million dollars going to feel in your bank account knowing it came at the expense of innocent people? Does that feel good to buy that new car? Does that feel good to buy that house? How about when you go to sleep at night? How does that conscience feel? You're still human, I think. I don't know about Mark Zuckerberg. He might not be a human. Highly debatable. Definitely could be a robot or some sort of artificial intelligence. Yes. But Fauci's a human. How does it feel, buddy boy? Doesn't feel good. So sad. So many athletes, their careers are done now. Just like I did on a, a previous podcast, the cyclist, wait, Wob, weird name, whatever it was, won the, 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 the event like two, three months ago in bed with his wife, like two days later after doing like media, you know, media tour two days before dead cardiac arrest. And now they're suppressing this. They can't suppress it forever. It's leaking, baby. It's leaking. And the truth will prevail and justice will be served. I really stand by that. They're showing videos of a bunch of athletes falling on the field, looking like cardiac arrest, whatever it is, passing out, unconscious, basketball, court collapse, taking off on a stretcher, soccer. Baker County High School senior is in the hospital after collapsing on the tennis courts. Breaking new details on the deaths of a school soccer player. Finland, Denmark star man Christian Eriksson towards the end of the first half. The Kennedy High gave morning tonight after one of their high school football players. A South Carolina football player has died after collapsing at football practice. Star college basketball player collapsing on the court. We want to warn you. The video Florida Gators star Deontay Johnson collapsing during the game. Catholic high school student has died after collapsing during a football scrimmage. On mile eight, she suddenly felt fuzzy and blacked out. Said Ryan Jarts, 
unexpectedly collapsed on the field. Megan went into cardiac arrest. Collapsing during Friday night's football. This is a gigantic experiment that we're doing on the entire world's population. It's never been used before on humans. The side effects for the Moderna vaccine sound concerning. We looked. After the second dose, at least 80% of participants experienced a systemic side effect. Are these vaccines safe? Well, the uh, EA not being pressured with that. The FDA is the gold standard of regulators uh, and their current guidance on if they stick with that is is very, very appropriate. They have been working on this technology for a long time, but they've had a lot with it. They haven't been able to get it to where it can work. It's too toxic. And they see this as a tremendous opportunity. And Fauci sees it, Bill Gates sees it. They've been heavily vested in this mRNA technology as a, a new revolutionary concept in biology. When you woke up this morning, did you know you were going to be receiving a vaccine? I did, yes. So, you know, staff, um, we are excited to get the vaccine. No, um, I'm sorry, I'm feeling really dizzy. This is a nurse who got the vaccine, and she's being interviewed on camera, and she passes out live on camera. The mRNA vaccines, by taking genetic material in the vaccine that's encapsulated in a little microscopic part, and having that particle infect your cells, and that means that it's transferred from the outside to the inside, so it uses your cells, your body, to complete the vaccine membrane. It's completed by your body's genetic machinery and not the, the manufacturer. The mRNA that I was working with and the inventions that I came up with are fundamentally from what's being used in the current product in that I was producing the, what is close to being a natural RNA. It's being used in the emergency use authorized products from and Pfizer BioNTech are not natural RNAs, uh, so they are related to what I'd originally envisioned, but also different. And those seem to have contributed to the risks and toxicities. Your RNA is made by our cells every single day, by our DNA. And what messenger RNA does is it's a delivery of a recipe. The DNA, the recipe, that it writes on the messenger RNA, because remember, it takes messages. The recipe on it that says, make protein for healing this muscle. And the messenger RNA then goes over to the ribosomes, which is the factory, and it reads the on the front of the messenger RNA and creates pain, which then goes out into the body and goes over to the muscle that's been injured and hurt. And, and that's normal. DNA, messenger RNA, that happens every day, every minute in our state long. One of the fascinating and terrifying things we've seen over the last two years is that there have been more deaths reported from COVID shots in the official VAERS systems, vaccine adverse event report, than for all vaccines combined over the last 30 years. All the vaccines, measles, polio. DPT, you name it. There have been more injuries and more deaths in the last two years. From in September of 2000, when I started investigating problems associated with vaccines, there were about 8,000 reports per year. Last time I looked before COVID, it was about 35,000 reports per year. And if that's somewhere between 1% and 10% of actual injuries, we'd be talking about somewhere between 350,000 and 5 million people who are actually in and were unfamiliar with fires complaint. There are a number of reasons that it's under a cumbersome system. It's used, it's difficult to get data in, and it takes time. And clinicians are reluctant to put data into into the VAS. There should be a proactive system where the, the federal government, if they were interested, 
would more closely track the adverse events related to uh, these uh, vaccines. Dr. Fauci's refusal to fix the Health and Human Services Department's dysfunctional vaccine injury surveillance system fares due to excusable negligence. HHS's own studies indicate that VAERS may be understating vaccine injuries by over 90%. VAERS, Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, uh, tells me that there is a very bad side effects. Initial safety study is to see if I inject it in the arm, does it have some sort of idiosyncratic or bad I had my COVID jab on the, on the 17th of March, me with seizures and I was paralyzed. It's like tick attacks. Got my COVID vaccine, Pfizer, on Monday. And Thursday, I have those positive. There's another element to safety, and that is if you vaccinate someone and they make an antibody response and then they get exposed and infected. Does the response that you induce actually enhance infection and make it worse? And the only way you'll know that is if you do an extended study in a norm who has no risk of an, but in people who are out there in a risk situation. I'm so scared. This would not be the first time if it happened, that a vaccine that looked good in initial safety actually made people worse. It was the history of the respiratory syncytial virus vaccine in children, which paradoxically made the children worse. One of the HIV vaccines that we tested several years ago actually made individuals more likely to get infected. If you take it and then a year goes by and everybody's fine. Okay, that's good. Now let's give it to of 500 people, and then a year goes by and everything's fine. Let's give it to thousands of people, and then you find out that it takes 12 years for all hell to break loose, and then what have you done? They're showing the list of adverse events, many pages. Great. Lost internet. Okay, lost lost internet. Sorry, we're back. Sorry for the mistake there. I, I paused it. We're going to get back going right now. So let's play it again. My apologies. If it cuts out again, just skip over a few minutes and uh, and it'll get back to playing. So internet problems, again, it might cut out again. If it does, just skip over when it blacks out and go back into it. Um, it will uh, It will come back. So let's start this again. Let's share the tab. This is unbelievable. So I think I paused it on time. Maybe I'll take it back a hair. Take it back a little bit. 
just in case, where Fauci was saying, you give it, you, you give a, you give it to a few people and a year passes and everything's fine. Then you give it to 500 people, a year goes past and everything's fine. Then you go and give it to a thousand people and everything's fine. And then you realize in 10 years, all hell breaks loose. That's what he was saying in his, in his interview. So I'm waiting till the internet powers back up again, which it's might be chopping out if you're watching it on rumble. I don't know. Um, so I'm trying to give it a little bit so it can ramp back up. Uh, but, um, I'm going to get this playing again right now. So let's get back to, uh, the real Anthony Fauci again, subscribe to the Jonathan Cogan show, wherever you get your podcasts, go to patreon.com forward slash ownership economy to make a donation. Be greatly appreciated. Obviously. Um, other than that, let's get back to the incredible premiere of the real Anthony Fauci, the movie. Here we go. Goes by and everything's fine. So, well, then now let's give it to thousands of people. And then you find out that it takes 12 years for all hell to break loose. And then what have you done? And these are the adverse events it's showing from the documents that we covered on this podcast many months ago. The university is requiring all students and workers to get vaccinated and verify the status of their booster vaccination by the date of January 21st. Tomorrow, you have to show proof you're vaccinated. You can't eat indoors at Philadelphia restaurants and bars. Big changes ahead for restaurants and businesses in Chicago beginning tomorrow. Vaccination mandate goes into effect. If you want to eat out or work out in three suburbs, you have an extra week before you need to flash that vax card. Please Get vaccinated. My daughter took that shot yesterday in Las Vegas, and she's dead. She took the Pfizer vaccine, and she's dead. Nineteen eighty-four. Given the fact that the virus in our hands, it is quite possible. In fact, it's invariable that we will develop a vaccine for AIDS. Fauci's reign begins in 1984. Everything changes in 1984. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Robert Gallo held a press conference in which it was declared by the U.S. government that the U.S. government had found the cause of AIDS at the National Cancer Institute where Gallo worked. The probable cause of AIDS has been found, a variant of a known human cancer virus and that it was to be called human immunodeficiency virus, HIV. The same year, 1984, Fauci becomes the director of the NIAID. This saw the rise of Dr. Fauci to his current stardom. I'd like to introduce Dr. Anthony Fauci, who is the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases since 1984. Dr. Fauci understood that he could basically save his government agency by defining AIDS as an infectious disease. His agency within the NIH is all about the study of what allergies and infectious diseases. And infectious diseases were kind of on the way out uh, because they'd mostly been conquered by the time uh, you know Fauci came along needing to reopen the spigot of funding for his agency and his Big pharma. Mr. President and commissioners, that it is clear that very soon, certainly within this calendar year in the United States, we will be doing early phase one testing for safety in vaccines. We have NIH funded federal government sponsored vaccine evaluation units. It's a good collaboration between industry, the federal government and academia. What's not known to most people and would be surprising to many, not all, is that Dr. Fauci and others at the NIH are in partnership. They have patents, pharmaceutical patents, and they're in partnership with the companies. Their official job is to serve the public interest. But that has been sort of set aside, brushed away as if that's only a formality. The 1985 Dole Act allowed NIAID and Dr. Fauci personally 
to file patents on the hundreds of new drugs that his agency-funded PIs were incubating, and then to license those drugs to pharmaceutical companies and collect royalties on their sales. Well, my uncle Teddy deliberately and purposely brought in as his chief administrative aide, Terry Byrne, who was the first openly gay administrative aide on Capitol Hill. He was also the first openly HIV-infected administrative aide on Capitol Hill, and this was very controversial at that time because people were terrified of being exposed even to people who they believed were maybe infected with HIV. Think about it. Here we had this new disease that you could have without being aware of it. This gave rise to media scare stories about getting AIDS from toilet seats and stuff like that. The public seems to have a tough time in separating facts. Can children contact AIDS by drinking fountain? No, you can contact AIDS by kissing, touching, or just being around someone that has the disease. Well, as you know, there have been reports that the virus can occasionally be found in saliva. And in New Jersey, officials say that they will allow school superintendents to suspend students, teachers, or other staff who are suffering from AIDS. There is considerable talk about mandatory reporting of all AIDS cases and required blood tests, and much agonizing over the question of quarantine. Well, for example, if, if the close contact of a child is a household contact, perhaps there will be a certain number of cases of individuals who are just living with and in close contact with someone with AIDS, like just the ordinary close contact that one sees in normal interpersonal relationships. If that's the case, then indeed the implications for the spread to even other groups besides infants and children become something that needs to be reckoned with. So I think it is going to have a major impact on our thinking about what the real confines of the syndrome will be. And when I say Anthony Fauci is essentially a social engineer, I mean that. Because what he does, he re-engineers how people think of human contact, touch, intimacy. You know about pregnancy. Mm-hmm. You know how I feel about responsibility. Yes. How much do you know about AIDS? These are commercials that are basically just trying to fearmonger you into doing what they want. It's all fear. It's all fear. She went from one partner to another until one day she met a partner who'd stay with her for the rest of her life. AIDS. Don't experiment with sex. If you do use a condom or being the life of the party could be the death of you. So we as humans defeat propaganda and corruption by coming together, by being intimate, by gathering as groups, by human to human contact. That is why it is so crucial for them to keep us separated, to keep us scared, to make contact with one another, to be in a close quarters with one another, uh, to congregate with each other, because that is the antidote to overcoming it. That is the antidote to tyranny, pretty much. And so it's by design. It's absolutely by design to keep us separated, isolated, and in fear. The most socially charged health issue of the decade. What you see there is a kind of, I would say, almost like an earthquake moment in, in, in time. In American culture, biology, virology, politics, everything. It was a disease that was so horrendous and terrifying that it, it necessitated people staying away from each other. No more sexual contact, no more casual sexual contact. Not only sex, all forms of human contact. And now all of a sudden, as though a switch is turned, now it represents death and potentially murdering somebody that you love. I mean, these are really radical ideas and very dark ideas. Given the, the long incubation period of this disease, we may be starting to see, as we're seeing virtually as the months go by, other groups that can be involved. And, and seeing it in children is really quite disturbing. It used to be that Anthony Fauci, Robert Gallo, and all of them told the American people, if you test positive today, you are probably going to die within six months to a year. 
Then it became three years, then it became five years, then it became 10 years, and they kept stretching it and stretching it. You needed to be tested in order to know that you have it, and you needed to be tested with PCR technology. Does this sound familiar? Uh, its inventor, Kerry Mullis, was beside himself with anger that it was being used to diagnose uh, people with HIV, which was then supposed to lead inexorably to AIDS. He spoke out against this at the time. Guys like Fauci get up there and start talking. You know, he doesn't know anything really about anything. And I'd say that to his face. Nothing. The man thinks you can take a blood sample and stick it in an electron microscope, and if it's got a virus in there, you'll know it. He doesn't understand electron microscopy, and he doesn't understand medicine, and should not be in a position like he's in. He repeatedly said, including on tape, you should not use the PCR test to diagnose clinical infection with viruses. He repeatedly said that. What are we doing? Using the PCR test to distinguish clinical diagnostic tests with viruses. They've got a personal kind of agenda. They make up their own rules as they go. They change them when they want to. And they smugly, like Tony Fauci, does not mind going on television in front of the people who pay his salary and lie directly into the camera. When uh, Bob Gallup proved that it was the etiologic agent in 1984, we had a, a diagnostic test approved by the FDA in 1985. And that was really quick, from literally less than a year from the time that it was shown to be the virus that causes this disease. My mentor as a young undergraduate actually traveled with Bob Gallo to the Pasteur Institute and met with Luc Montagnier and uh, brought back uh, their DNA isolate uh, that could be used to produce the AIDS virus. Luc Montagnier sent a biological sample, let's just say, to Robert Gallo for his feedback in 1983. Robert Gallo famously held those demonstrably same proteins up at the press conference where he declared that HIV had been found in his lab and was the cause of AIDS. Credit must go to our eminent doctor, Robert Gallo. A massive battle ensued. I went over to Montagnier afterwards and I said, I can't find a uh, reference like I can't find a reference to go with the statement HIV is the probable cause of AIDS I, I'm sure you can help me he said why don't you use the NIH like the, the CDC report and I said well I looked at that and that was not a scientific paper and the people standing around by the way who were his colleagues there looked at him like they were thinking he should come up with a better answer but he couldn't Luc Montagnier was always an interesting figure and always a thorn in the side of the orthodoxy. HIV by itself, or some strains of HIV are not sufficient to induce AIDS. Even from the beginning, actually, we, we thought maybe uh, for the activation of that virus in cells, we need some cofactors. Cofactors are not necessary. I think a lot of the data point to, at best, HIV being a cofactor and one of the human herpes viruses may play a key role in the development of that disease to the extent that it is attributable to a virus infection. Nevertheless, Dr. Fauci, of course, has been long committed to the belief system that HIV is the sole cause of a immunodeficiency virus syndrome. There was a war that I covered from the first shot fired, which was in 1987 with Peter Duisburg's paper, that most people do not know took place. A war that took place over the soul of American science, the classical science world, where you have to prove what you're saying, and not until you've proven it do you move forward. And the postmodern, post-Faucian, industrial hyper-monetized, hyper-propagandized, non-scientific world. HIV cannot be the cause of AIDS because it doesn't infect enough cells and isn't active enough. It's only found in one out of 8,000 T cells. It's really unfortunate because what he's doing, he's creating a tremendous amount of anxiety in the people who are infected because they think that there's some conspiracy among scientists against them. It really is very unfortunate. And coming from him, who has, he has some qualifications. Something happened to him 
uh, in his thinking over the past couple of years. I don't know what it is. HIV was never present by any means in all cases of AIDS, but Anthony Fauci made sure that there was a perfect correlation by eliminating about 5,000 HIV-negative AIDS cases. There was a conference in Amsterdam in the early 1990s, an AIDS conference. Doctors started to go to the podium in a session where they were talking about HIV-negative AIDS, and they began to say, yeah, I have some too. A clinical AIDS patient has every symptom but test negative on every test, no matter how many times they test. And so there was a clamor. There was a sense of anxiety. What is this? Could it be? Could it be that Peter Duisburg is right? And Anthony Fauci flew in on Air Force Two to that conference, and he did his thing, and he, he quashed it. He just quashed it. He gave a statement through Newsweek that this just wasn't an issue. It was a misunderstanding. And what they did at that moment was they took all of the HIV-negative AIDS cases and they renamed them and threw them out of the official definition. In a brazen move to explain away the anomaly of AIDS without HIV, Dr. Fauci declared that the unexplained AIDS cases represented a new disease to avoid suspicion that his, quote, new disease, end quote, was, after all, chronic fatigue syndrome. Dr. Fauci labels his discovery idiopathic CD4 plus lymphocytopenia, or ICL. In this tongue twister, idiopathic means of unknown source. I do not know whether HIV AIDS was the thing that was, was the force that killed all of these people in the 80s and 90s. What we do know is that there was a deliberate, purposeful effort that was orchestrated by Tony Fauci, a crusade to silence dissidents, to make sure the debate didn't happen, to make sure that science that challenged the official orthodoxy was suppressed, um, that people who voiced that science had their careers destroyed, that they were silenced, that they were vilified, that they were marginalized, that they were, they were ridiculed, that they were made radioactive. The exact same strategy, by the way, that they are using today. The exact same strategy. Have you not noticed? Have you not noticed the past years? That's exactly what's happening. The publisher said, you know, this is the Vietnam of our generation, so I'm going to designate a column. And I became the editor of that column and often the writer of the column. Frustration over the AIDS crisis spilled over into a big protest today at City Hall in Manhattan. More than 2,000 people demanding action. An estimated 1 million people in the United States have HIV. That number could grow exponentially starting tomorrow. Fire Fauci. We need drugs. We missed the drugs. This is a story about racism. This is a story about sexism. This is a story about greed. And this is war. And the National Institutes of Health are refusing to do their job. I don't have access to these trials. The criteria are too tight. They take too long. And every day I read about drugs that are available, and they're not going to trial. There's no access to any new drugs. And I'm coming here to ask for access to these drugs. The FDA will move as quickly as possible to address this issue and expand the... Uh, the indication for, for AZT. He didn't even blink. This was entirely second nature to him to unblinkingly get on television night after night and speak of this incredibly toxic chemical. And I mean, really toxic. People with asymptomatic HIV infection. Since AZT is a, is a drug that's already on the market, physicians can, can at their discretion prescribe it for whatever it is that they want to prescribe it for. Anthony Fauci made a decision at a certain point and came out with it. 
that anybody with CD4 cells lower than 500, though they were still healthy and not symptomatic of AIDS, should go on AZT as a preventive measure. All participants whose T4 counts are less than 500 should be offered AZT. I knew that the drug had come out of a, an anti-cancer program. Uh, it, it basically, it's a modified uh, nucleic acid. Our, you know, our DNA and RNA are made of, of these little chemical bases, and when you modify some of them, they can jam the machinery of cells replicating. That's how a lot of chemotherapy drugs work, and this is just the same. One person I interviewed, his brother was perfectly healthy and had been persuaded to go on a high dose of AZT, and he was dead within a year, but also his face melted, melted away. It's like, it's like Hiroshima, very powerful radiation. He was diagnosed. He had advanced AIDS, near death, just months to live, massive infections in his lungs, all over his body, uh, Kaposi sarcoma lesions on his skin, high titers of the virus all throughout his body. And instead of being dead today, as most of the people taking AZT were by undergoing hyperthermia at the University of Rome, today he is alive and well. There is a successful series of treatments. I use the word treatments. Uh, there's no one treatment I think is better than any other. Hyperthermia, vitamin C drips, ozone treatment. I had taken my medical records down to the National Institutes of Health to Dr. Fauci's lab and showed them because they have presently discredited this treatment. And that's why our federal government has not allowed it here in the United States as of yet. Um, showed them my medical records. And what I did is I blanked out a set that had my name on it. Showed them and said, well, what do you think of this? Their response is, well, this person obviously got better. What did they do? Fauciism is a, an absolute contempt for natural non-toxic therapies, contempt for the whole dialectic and discussion about what is an immune system, what is health, how do you detoxify, what is it when you're getting sick from a, a chronic illness. Uh, it just a matter of attacking the accused pathogen with the most toxic drugs kind of imaginable. AZT at the time was the most toxic drug that had ever been put in a capsule and given to human beings. My uncle and Terry Byrne spent a lot of time meeting with Tony Fauci and trying to persuade him to have a parallel track. Their proposal was to create a parallel track approval system that would allow community AIDS doctors to conduct clinical studies on off-the-shelf drugs that neither pharma nor NIAID wanted to test. AZT at that time was headed to be the most expensive drug in history. It would cost $10,000 per year of treatment. And for that drug to function, Burroughs Welcome had to make sure that there was a marketplace. Part of the strategy for the NIAID for Anthony Fauci and for his partners at Burroughs Welcome was to make sure that those drugs did not get FDA approval because it would have killed AZT. AZT was approved in a way that I have said it kind of broke the spine of the FDA tradition, the FDA drug approval tradition that had reigned up to that point where it took up to 10 years roughly for a drug to be considered adequately tested for both safety and efficacy. I don't think the FDA drug approval process prior to that was probably all that safe or great, but at least it was something. You had to prove safety if you're the FDA and you had to prove efficacy for a new drug. That all ended with AZT. When I was at the Wellcome Research Labs, I was very proud to be in a place that had discovered the first drug that became allegedly useful for AIDS. I knew that they'd found a, a new way to use uh, an oncology drug, and I thought, well, well done to them. I had no idea. I'm, I was like 28. I'm just very happy. I'd never heard of Dr. Fauci at that time. I didn't know it was expensive, and I definitely didn't know it was 
Neither NIAID nor Barros welcomed. Don't Africa. worry, don't worry. When COVID hit, all of a sudden, these people have your best interest at heart and they love you. They love you. They absolutely love you. They changed their mind. They're like, you know what? We're going to repent. We want forgiveness. We're going to save the world now. Instead of poisoning, we're going to change that strategy. Yeah. Okay. Completed any long-term animal study. Barros welcomed Dr. Fauci's fast-track human trials fragmenting their study groups in 12 cities into small cohorts, making safety signals difficult to detect. In 1987, Dr. Fauci's team declared the human study a success and terminated it after only four months of a proposed six-month study, a record-setting speed for chemotherapy approval. That four-month observation period was far too short for researchers to detect side effects that would occur in patients taking AZT for years or even for a lifetime. Sounds like a strategy that's being carried out now. Woo! What do you know? Practice makes perfect. Arthur Ashe died, and when Rudolf Nureyev died, and many, many other friends of mine who died during that period, during the 80s and 90s days, my assumption was that aiding these people, I was completely unaware, really, until I wrote this book, that there was an alternative narrative. Many doctors and scientists and activists believed that it was actually the majority of those men were dying because of poisoning. Arthur Ashe himself suspected that it was the AZT that was killing him and not his HIV infection. Both he and Nureyev were healthy uh, until they began taking AZT. Public health colonialism enables us to show up in third world countries, demand that their leadership tell the people that they are all about to die of a terrible new disease and we have to get in there and we take over protecting the needy and the poor and especially people in third world countries from this terrible virus. I worked in South Africa, you know, at the height of the AIDS epidemic. It was a pretty terrifying time. Uh, we didn't really understand what it is. So these poor people would get overwhelming infections that get pneumocystis, pneumonia, and they would die. And we were helpless. And, oh, we have to give them AZT, and we have to give them drugs, and we have to give them vaccines. We thought this was the, the answer to the AIDS epidemic. You know, we had no idea how toxic it was. We had no idea how ineffective it was. We had no idea how Fauci et al., had manipulated the data and how they were experimenting on, on, on these poor people. An intense interest in Africa when I was a little boy, probably that amplified when I was seven years old. My father came back from a trip to Africa with a film called Africa Speaks, and he showed it on a little 16-millimeter projector that we had in our basement. And I just fell in love with the gun, and I ended up going to Africa beginning in 1964 many, many times. I met over my lifetime with many African leaders, including Jomo Kenyatta, the first president of Kenya, Julius Nyerere, the long-term president of Tanzania, Nelson Mandela, many, many, many other African leaders. And I had a fertile interest in the problems of how U.S. aid and foreign assistance can sometimes exacerbate problems, political problems, cultural problems, and problems of hunger and poverty, rather than alleviating them. And, um, you know, a sensitivity to the idea that we need to be willing to listen to, uh, to local leadership and that we need to nurture community-based solutions. You have certain things that one taught one knows. Uh, HIV equals AIDS equals death. One of the things that became clear and actually rather disturbing was the fact that there was 
a view that was being expressed by people whose scientific credentials you can't question. It seemed to me that there had been a determined effort to exclude their voice, to, to silence it. So let me ask you about uh, HIV and AIDS. Why did it take so long for medical researchers to realize there was a connection? Well, when you say a connection, David, what do you mean a connection? Uh, HIV leads to AIDS. Oh, that was, well... But I thought for a while people didn't recognize that that was necessarily the case. We'll call denialists who are really off the radar screen, so okay. we wouldn't even go there. He brought 24 scientists to Pretoria. I was there. 12 on one side of the issue, 12 on the other side of the issue. He wanted to hear all around the table what everybody thought and, and make a decision. How am I going to handle HIV, AIDS, public health, uh, antiretroviral regimens, and so forth in South Africa? By the way, that, that's a good strategy. Have people that, that agree with one side over here and the people that agree with the other side over here. You give them time to talk, you give them time to talk, you give them time to talk, they talk, they talk, everybody talks, talk, 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 talk. And then you independently come up with a solution. You don't suppress the left side and just go with the right or eliminate the right side and go with the left. You go back and forth and you come to the truth and then you proceed or you come to a conclusion, maybe you're wrong, and then you iterate and you take a different path and you iterate and take a different path, iterate, take a different path, but you debate. People who don't realize that debate is best for human civilization need to learn more about why discussions are healthy, even if uncomfortable, very healthy. I listened and heard the whole story told about our own country. It seemed to me that we could not blame everything. The president of South Africa. It's remarkable that he's still alive, I'll just say. His health minister, she had plastic lemons and pieces of garlic hurled at her because she had said garlic, lemon, olive oil is good to drink every day if you want to strengthen your immune system. Pharma-funded activist group, they showed up and pelted her. The cruelty, the bullying, the culture of just absolutely viciously going against anybody who spoke about natural remedies or the immune system or, or the human body. When you go against big pharma, you have outrage. You hear the words denial. You hear the words like uh, crazies, or you hear the word like you just have to smear them. You have to call them a bad name. You can't challenge what they're saying because you know it's true. And so you must defame them. You must just put out a thousand pieces of article in the news and hope that the propaganda takes over the populace and that they believe that what they're reading is true. And it has worked for decades, probably much longer. But here's the unfortunate part. In the past two years, Big Pharma overstepped. They got too greedy. They overstepped. And I still will say this, and I believe this with every ounce of my being, that they overstepped and they have ruined their tyranny and their dictatorship and their biomedical industrial complex because people are waking up and people are realizing all this BS and it's finally going to end. It's finally going to end. I stand by that. We are watching the crumblings of an entire biopharmaceutical industrial complex because they overstepped. They got too greedy. So they got a hundred billion dollars, but they won't get a billion more because well, they'll probably get a few billion more, but it's not going to last decades and decades anymore. I believe it's over, and we need to spread this truth far and wide. Do not suppress the other side. Debate the other side. Challenge the other side. Talk to the other side. Do not censor the other side, because if you censor the other side, that means you're spewing propaganda, because propaganda requires censorship. Okay, I'll get back to it. Sorry. I had to say that. Studies in unborn fetuses in which the mother is given AZT to determine whether or not you can prevent the onset in that 30 to 40 percent of uh, newborn infants who become infected from an infected mother. Get the virus, never mind the person, never mind the, the, the life, and that's Fauciism. Fauciism is becoming deadism, okay? It's overism. Okay, the propagandaism is done ism.
Okay. I'll put isms on the back of isms. I don't care. It's over. It's done. The people are rising. We're coming together. We're understanding that we've been under a spell of an inverted truth for many years, which has blown my mind. And it's very hard to grasp, but it's true. And we've lived in a totally inverted life where like up is down, down is up, left is right. It's wild. But we, if we come to terms that we've been fooled and we say, okay, you got us, you got us. Well done, Fauci. Well done, everybody. You got us. You got us, Gates. You got us, Big Pharma. You did it. You did it. You did it. But it's over. We're not doing it anymore. And you cannot comply. Because if you comply, it never stops. If you put your foot in the sand, assuming you're standing, standing on sand, but put your foot in the ground or put your foot in the air, put your foot wherever you want to put it, put in Fauci's mouth. I don't care. Just put your foot somewhere and say no. And if everybody says no, then you will realize that the power is with the people. The power isn't with Big Pharma. The power isn't with Fauci. The power isn't with Gates. The power isn't with the president. The power is with the populace. The populace or the power is with the people worldwide. This isn't just the U.S. Worldwide. If we all say no, it ends the next day. It's done. It's over. You can't do anything. It's done. There's too many of us. We're too powerful. It's done. It's done. There's nothing to discuss. It's over. Just grasp that. You say no. I say no. Next time someone tells you to put on a mask, say no. Do you have a mask? No. Do I have to wear it? Why do I have to wear it? Oh, you have to wear it? Oh, well, go get me one. Make them work for it. And then after 20 people walk in and do the same thing, and they'll just be like, ah, screw it. Just go in. Make the tyranny work for it, and it will not last. It cannot last. Because people are inherently lazy, which is how we got to this place. But then you reverse that laziness on the people uh, propagating the tyranny. And then, boom, they get bored, too, of of propagating it. And so they just give up. So when 50 people in a row say no, they're not going to chase down the 51st person. Those are hypothetical random numbers, but you understand what I'm saying. New York City's Administration for Children's Services had enrolled children in unnecessary and dangerous HIV and AIDS trials during a 20-year period. I'm sorry, I've cut this up too many times. I swear I'm going to get back to it. I promise there's about 30 minutes left or 20 minutes left. I don't care if you're tyrannical, if you're authoritarian, if you're trying to shove biomedical medications down our throat. I mean, I care, obviously. It's bad, obviously. I care about authoritarianism and totalitarianism, obviously. But no matter what, do it on adults, okay? Do it on adults. Leave your hands off of the kids. Leave your propaganda away from the kids, okay? Do you want your kids to be propagated? If you're a propaganda spewer, are you doing it to your own kids? Probably not because you know the truth behind all of this. Leave your hands and words and whatever off the kids. Kids don't know. By definition, they are kids. They cannot make informed consent. They don't know. They do not know. They rely on us. They rely on adults, to help them, to guide them until they're ready to flock from the nest. Stay away from the kids. And that's a big reason why I do the Jonathan Cogan shows because I can't stand them trying to spew the propaganda on kids. Leave the damn kids alone. Just leave, not the damn, leave the kids alone. Leave them alone. Leave them alone. If you can convince or propagandize, I should say, adults, fantastic. Hope you sleep well at night, but they're adults. They can make mistakes. God bless them. The kids, stay away. Stay away. And if more people don't